0: Recorded live, Union Inn, Washington, D.C. 1112, 1114, 3rd Street, Northeast. We are steps to Nomegaludet Metro. nice, brisk walk to Union Station and a leisurely jaw to the Capitol, Capitol Hill. I am the illustrious Innkeeper Freddie, host extraordinaire. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome to Guest Book Podcast Ladies and gentlemen, Guest Book Podcast We have another very, very, very special guest in the house Those that have read uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Tipping Point Talks about the A20 rule, three people that make things happen one is a maven, which I think is myself One is called a salesman Another one is called a connector I think of all the people I've met in my life, got to know I think this guy is probably number one up there Mr. Sharif Mitchell What's up, man? How are you?
1: I'm happy to be here, man
0: I'm happy to have you, man So, what are we listening to?
1: Nipsey Hustle, Ocean Views Hustle, you, motivate, rap, man.
0: Why'd you pick this song?
1: That Nipsey is really captivating. You know, kind of my whole persona right now. I mean, this is just, uh, you know, I think everybody's got a soundtrack to their, to their life or that period of life that they're in. And, and uh, you know, I'm trying to build a business right now. And so I only really listen to the guys that hustle and motivate and, and speak the same language that I'm kind of thinking in my head. Different industries, but same grind.
0: No doubt. Now, you have a very very interesting story to get you from where you started to where you are right now so let's take it back to the essence all the way at the beginning where were you born so i was born at
1: kaiser permanente in walnut creek california suburb of uh, oakland california
0: so that's that's uh, where the story starts so okay in oakland you were there for how long
1: yeah. So I guess background, my dad was at Berkeley. Um, he's from New York. My mother, you know, born in New Orleans and uh, grew up in Los Angeles and she uh, was in school in San Francisco. So they were both in the Bay, met there, got married, started a family, started a business together. And so um, that's that's kind of where the story starts.
0: Now, what was this business that they had? Because it's quite interesting.
1: Yeah. So Management Dynamics Inc. was a consulting firm specializing in EEOC, labor law compliance uh, issues, organizational development. So really, the precursor to DNI or diversity and inclusion when everybody wants to talk about right now. And so if you think about the time, you know, late eighties, early nineties, a lot of the, the cable industries really what kind of put the, the business going uh, on the map was they were going into urban demographics and trying to figure out a way to reach new eyeballs. Right. And so with that are all growing pains and internally as well as the programming. And so, you know, those were, those were the kind of the early clients. And so the business has really kind of evolved in that, in that area, you know, cross sectors, both public, private and across industry, cable,
0: food, entertainment, etc. And you all did so well that you're like, you know what? We're going to Miami. We're building our own house. <laughs> and this is around time you were what, nine
1: years old. So I believe we moved in 93. Um, yeah. And we built the house. I mean, you know, back then, uh, you know, it's, it's different real estate market than it is today. You know, a black family could, could, you know, build a home. And um, we picked up some some clients in Miami, uh, Burger King and Blockbuster at the time. So my father said, look, take the family. Let's move to Miami. You know, I have family from the Caribbean and we had support there. Uh, we had clients there and, and we relocated uh, there in 93.
0: And throughout this whole time, you were quite the talent in baseball, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was I was a pretty good baseball player. You know, I really uh, took took a liking to the sport at an early age. My father loved the sport. And so, uh, you know, I played uh, I played really all growing up. I was a pitcher. My most vivid memory really as a child was with my father at least. We would get up on Saturdays, we'd go run Lake Merritt. It's about three miles. Uh, we would field balls and, and you know hit and you know, I would get rewarded with donuts and uh <laughs> and uh, you know, and that was that's all it really took. Uh, but really, really played at a high level. You know, I was always playing uh above my age and got really good. And uh in Miami being that you could play all year round really, really allowed me to to, to build it at the sport.
0: And you were at a school in Miami at the time that was quite good at, at baseball, had a really prominent baseball team. Yeah,
1: so, you know, the uh, the private schools in Miami had a lot of talent, you know. So A-Rod went to Westminster, uh, which was a rival school. I went to Gulliver Academy. Was very good at played. you know, all the local little leagues. Uh, you know, I was always top five drafted, you know, all the coaches I knew. And got to Gulliver and really tried out for the seventh grade team, and I didn't make the team. Mm. And it was, uh, it was really a blow to me, but also it was my kind of first encounter with racism. I mean, mm. there were there were a lot of the little league coaches could not understand how I was dominating over here, but could not make that team. And really kind of my first lesson in what the world's going to be like and and realizing nothing's going to be handed to you. And that was a tough time for us. What position were you playing? So I was a
0: pitcher and I played middle infield. Wow. Yes. You were a pitcher and you could hit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had a big bat and I was batting third or fourth. I'll never forget, man. I was at a A A-Rod summer camp and first pitch of this this kid who was touted in the areas like the best pitcher and first pitch fastball took it over the fence God and they were like, wait, who's this? And, and, and I knew, I, I knew I could hit at that point. And, and honestly, um, you know, we'll get to it, but I actually ended up leaving pitching. Um, I was going to be a middle infielder and be a big bad. And that part of that was tied to my father. You know, my father used to call my pitches um, from the stands. And so, you know, he was a very, very uh, important figure in my, in my trajectory as a player. Yeah. He got you um, into it. Yep yep and so uh, what happened so my father my father uh made his own transition in 94 first uh kind of you know in a uh, real look at mental illness and um and so he we were kind of uh living in joint households we still were winding down the business in california we were living in miami full time with my mother and you know he was the plan was for him to come and move to miami full time and he ultimately did um but just not in the in the form that we thought he would he, he uh you know made his transition and passed away and then um November 94. And uh, when he moved to Miami, it was there for us to bury him. You know, at that point, it was a very tough loss. It's traumatic as you can imagine as a, as a 10-year-old. And I just stopped really, I didn't really love the game anymore. The uh, the, the Gulliver episode uh, really took the, the rest of the win for my sales. And that was really, you know, when I decided to kind of put the glove down for a little bit. Mm-hmm.
0: And so, you're saying that basically you moved from Oakland to Miami about a year before he passed. Mm-hmm. And, you feel was part of his plan yeah. to kind of send you all ahead to set you up, if you will.
1: Yeah. You know, it, it's, I think uh in looking back, you know, the moves that he was making to really ensure that we would be taken care of from through familial support. So hence Miami, when we, when he would make his transition, we would have his family to support us there. They were, you know, you know, not, not too far, maybe a couple miles away. So, there was a community there that, you know, I think that he really believed that we'd be supported. We'd be set up financially. And I think it was really a plan for him to, to, uh, to, to do that and know that we would be taken care of.
0: So how long were you in Miami?
1: So uh, we were there about five years. Um, and really, Miami was just tough. I mean, it was um, not a good time for the family. Um, you know, my mother had to, you know, um, take on the business full time, raise kids, you know, single mother at that time, a widow. Uh, so the stresses of, of, really kind of sustaining the lifestyle and, and, uh, and, and the business and just, I mean, just a lot for her. Um, you know, obviously two kids, I was 10, my sister was eight and going through that. Um, just dealing with just all of that comes with that, all that trauma. It was a tough time for us. Those are, we call those kind of the dark years. And so we just said, look, you know, let's start fresh, you know, right before I was going to high school my sister would, would be going into middle school it was a good time in education, right? So that you had that break to kind of shift schools and, and uh, so we just said, look, we're going to we're going to move. Uh, let's move up north. We, we knew we had, we wanted to be where we had more love and support and we had friends. And so we just said, all right, let's 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 kind of throw a dart and figure it out. And and ultimately we ended up here, uh, which which is one of the best. Uh,
0: and when you say is here, where's that?
1: Silver Spring, Maryland.
0: The greatest place in the world to raise children. Smart move.
1: Shout out to the New York Times.
0: <laughs> Real talk it's documented. yo. It's documented. Go look it up. That's right. So you moved there and then I guess your homeschool would have been Blake.
1: That was the homeschool. And I had always been in private school all my life. And so, you know, I, I, you know, the common thing for me was I never really had, you know, other black kids in my classes, you know, Um, and um, that was something that I wanted to experience. And so I told my mom, look, like, I know I've been in private school educated, but I want to go to public school and I want to I want to go to neighborhood school. You know, it was always cool to be able to, you know, go to the bus stop with all the kids in the neighborhood and we ride together and we'd hang out after school. And I wanted that experience. And uh, that was a tough year, too. You know, I was always in the honors classes. I, I vividly remember as a me and, and, a, and, a, and a guy. He's, he's now an actor. Uh, we've lost touch, but his name was too And uh, and uh, we were in classes together and it was really just us in every class. And I'm like, this is not really what I thought it would be. And, yeah, the greater population was, you know, was more diverse, but it wasn't in my my you know interaction um, class to class, and and so I had friends that were in the neighborhood, uh, but I just wasn't. I, I I still wasn't getting what I what I thought I would. Um, and and really for me, it's how can you be black, be smart, and be cool at the same time without having to fight every day with anti-intellectualism? That yeah. was always like I just I never understood that. I'm like, well, look, if I have to fight with that, I rather I might as well just go. To private school get the best education and and just like just go crush it and and do i need to do you know Uh, and i'll have to solve for for the friendships later you know it's interesting my my god sister nikki and my god brother jabron went to blake i know all their friends they had a great thing and so they figured it out but they'd also gone to middle school you know uh white oak middle school and they had friends kind of along the way so they were able to really pick their friends and figure out who they were going to ride with through high school and me kind of coming from miami only knowing the people from the bus stop was very different, right? And so uh, Okay. And so to me that was that was really uh, I didn't have a network beyond, you know, the four kids in the neighborhood.
0: Yeah. And so you went to Moray, which is a private school that's down in By the Zoo, Yep. Yeah. And you went there for the remainder of high school. The rest school.
1: of high school, yeah. Um, I really came into my own I would say as a leader. Um, you know, I I was president of diversity at Moray Club. You know, what's interesting is that I was still kind of trying to figure out who I was right so I was I was uh floating around you know I wasn't the best athlete at that time because I kind of put the sports down a little bit so I wasn't really you know a star athlete you know good student you know it was it was an interesting place to kind of try to figure out who you are and you really become socialized um you know in your high school years um and so I'd say you know it was a great place to to learn I had great teachers really challenged me academically and that was that was wonderful for me I needed that and And uh, I I really attribute a lot of, you know, who I am from a technical perspective and an academic perspective to Murray. But I still was kind of, you know, that that social piece was still was still relatively shallow for me.
0: Uh, Did you feel that being a uh, student going to a D.C. school but living in Maryland contributed to any or helped or hurt?
1: yeah i mean so again you know you spend all your time in dc so i wasn't around my neighborhood friends as much yeah uh and then yeah i spent a lot of time with my my um really my teammates um and and uh and other friends at 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 maray but they were always in the city so it's like if i were to go home and then come back i mean that's two hours i might miss stuff or you know right after school you kind of miss you know you're never really going home you're always going to other people's homes and you know my stuff is always here and you know, I wouldn't always want to come back and forth. It changed a lot when I started driving, but, you know, it was definitely a unique experience where I was always, it, it was really a microcosm of, of my life, right? Back and forth between worlds, D.C., suburbs, et cetera. I think it really drives my desire to really live in a city now and be close to, yeah. you know, where I go to school, and, and which is why I live in Brooklyn and, and love Brooklyn and want to be I, there. I
0: can relate 100%. I mean, that's the story of my, at least, what do you call it primary school uh, education. Every single school I went to. I never went to the homeschool. Mm-hmm. I always went to the school that uh, my parents had to drive me to sure. until I got a car. Sure. So you said teammates. Were you playing sports or was this a...
1: Yeah, I played football uh, in the fall. And, you know, we started two weeks early and got to meet a lot of uh, the guys that were in the school. And so that was a lot of fun. Right. And I have great friends from from the team. And and, and, uh, and they really kind of made my high school experience awesome.
0: Offensive defense.
1: Uh, so I played both. I played both sides of the ball. We're a small private school, man. So, you know, we play both yeah, sides I of the ball. I so, Yeah. Uh, and I was on the line.
0: Okay. Yeah. Big boys. Yeah. Are you a, a tackle a guard or a center?
1: Uh tackle. It was a little bit quick. I'm light on my feet. Okay. Uh, you know, you know, so I'm pretty nimble, can dance a little bit. No and, doubt. Uh, I'll tell you, man, it made me uh it really made me tough like being in the trenches and, and I really learned that like, you know, every every role matters. Um and everybody contributes and and um, you know, uh the trenches matter. And and that's kind of uh that stuck with me.
0: Now, during this time, and also I believe your time in Miami, uh, there was an organization that you were involved in that actually played quite—I want to say—an important role in your life. Yep. It's Jack and Jill, right? That's right. All right. So, for those that are unfamiliar with what Jack and Jill is, give us the thirty-second elevator pitch.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's a it's a it's a civic organization focused on on African American children, uh, with chapters around the country, uh, and membership is typically through the mother. Uh, and so, really, you, you create a bond of, of uh, really just black kids in, in certain in, in communities that, where people live, where they, they, the, the thought is that they're going to share life experience. So, you know, if kids all go to private school and are always one of the only black kids in the school, this would be that place where they could come together on weekends, have fun, be, get involved civically, and, and also build relationships of, of, of kind of quote-unquote like-kind kids.
0: And when you say through the mother, what do you mean?
1: Yeah, so a membership. So the mothers are the members of the organization and their kids, therefore, are, are members in the organization. Um, and so the fathers are auxiliary members, but the memberships do the mothers. And those, there's responsibilities on, on, on those mothers to you know, chaperone and, and help uh, you know, organize events and, and, uh, and be very active. You know, think of the links for, for uh, African-American professional women. This is the, the organization for the
0: kids. Gotcha. And when you say organizing events, are these primarily uh, recreational events or are these primarily educational events? It was
1: or? a mixed bag, you know, so uh, fond memories of of uh, going to Broadway plays and going to the Schomburg in Harlem. And then, you know, there would be a, a party that like the like the Brooklyn and the Manhattan chapter would throw called the Copa every year. And so that was just a big party. Uh, kids up and down the east coast um you know we would we would clean highways we would we go volunteer so it was it was a mixed bag and the key was to get together monthly uh with all the kids in your chapter and 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 you would do different things Uh, and really the common thread is you're spending time together with black kids that might have similar experiences as you for me you know it was really important because we moved around so much that it was an easy way for me to go and meet kids in my neighborhood or kids in the community or in the, in the county, um, that looked, you know, might've acted, talked, you know, uh, grew up like you and, uh, and really was super instrumental for me in kind of rounding out my identity when I was somewhat loosey goosey in, 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 high school and trying to figure out who I would, really would become. And, uh, and so, you know, it was, it was, uh, it, you know, there were opportunities to take leadership roles. Um, so, you know, you, president, vice president, treasurer, etc. Um, you can represent your chapter at cluster events. So they would be kind of, you know, like events that like say all the DC Metro, you know, uh, you know, Virginia chapters or Northern Virginia, you all get together and see what other chapters are doing. And so you can really start to expand your network uh, and ultimately it's it's based on the region and so there would be regional team conferences literally some of my best friends in the world came from it uh, different chapters you know in Jersey and, and you know Philly and, and we would see each other you know we know we'd see each other once or twice a year and then you know when you go to college you get know each other from all over the region and then it just it just goes from there and so uh, a large part of my network came from,
0: from Jack and Jill. So it seems like these last three phases for whether it's Blake whether it's Murray and Jack and Jill uh, fellowship with Intelligent African-Americans yep. seem to be a common thread. Yep. Um, did that inform, I guess, what colleges you were looking to go to?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, at that point, you know, again, minus that one year at Blake, I was private school educa- educated my entire life. And so uh, at at that point, I really wanted a black experience, educational experience, full time. And so I really only wanted to go to HBCUs. Um, and so, yeah, I applied to FAMU. I applied to Ham. Shout to Fam. You go the Rattlers. Uh, yeah, you know it. I was thinking about committing there, and then I, and then I'll tell you about that. But uh, uh, ended up at Morehouse College, and mm-hmm. when I when I toured all the schools, you know, they I didn't go for different reasons. Um, you know, with with Howard being too close to home, and so Morehouse was you know in a city, uh, which I I, I like to be in cities, um, all male college, and so I didn't have to worry about you know interacting with chicks during the day. I could just focus on school, which is a big thing for me. Uh, but then being close proximity to Clark and Spellman, it's best of both worlds. And when I toured it, um, you know, I, uh, you know, I was just like, look, this is this is this is it. This is home. I'm going to Morehouse. Uh, and the fact they gave me a full ride didn't hurt.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I, like you, was definitely keen on um, going to an HBCU uh, upon graduation. My father worked at Howard University at the time. So just like you, I was like, no, nah, I can't go there. <laughs> but I wanted a Howard away from home. Sure. And that's why reason why i chose fam sure i never really looked at morehouse though and i never really had someone that had gone to morehouse to really speak about it sure all i knew about it was hey that's the all boys school down in atlanta sure. no nah, i'm i'm good yeah. I, I i need i need shorties sure and, <laughs> you know? and, 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 and
1: you wouldn't really you wouldn't really know unless you toured it yeah you know uh, and, and see what it was like and and yeah sure i mean but the fact that you share a parking lot with spelman i mean it's you know <laughs> uh, that, that's not a problem.
0: Okay. And it was during this time here that you actually got introduced to what ultimately now is your profession, correct?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'd say, I mean, you know, so I'm in commercial real estate for those that that don't know. Um, and, uh, I would say, you know, I, I had my eye on, on, uh, on real estate as an industry. One of the things that I think was really interesting growing up really quickly was, uh, I got to travel with my mother at an early age. And I, and I used to think, um, so every time she would stay at a Sheridan hotel back when they had ashtrays in the in the uh in the, the elevator lobbies, they used to have the S insignia in it. And I used to be like, Mom, is this for me? Like, is this for Sharif? She's like, Absolutely, sweetheart, this is for Sharif. So I always like had a love of hotels, right? So I'm like, Okay, I really wanna be in hotels. Uh I like yeah, you know, I guess this is commercial real estate, whatever, but I, I was too young to kind of put it together. But yeah, you know, um, you know, for me got started, I really didn't like the dorm, uh, you know, Morehouse, God bless it is an old school, you know, founded in 1867. And so, uh, I was in the, uh, Graves hall, which is actually where the school was originally, uh, w- was the entire school. Uh, and they turned into a dorm and, uh, you know, it was, it was an awesome, it was a, it was an awesome experience to be around, you know, all the brothers in the dorm, but you're living with all brothers in the dorm and it's just, you know, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, you know, the the best living conditions from what I was accustomed to. And so because I had a full ride, you know, my mother had some discretionary income. And uh, and so she, you know, I said, look, mom, like, what do I need to do to, to uh, you know, get, get out of out here? here. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and so she set some, you know, some, uh, you know, report card standards and I hit it. And so we actually went out and, and, and uh, bought a townhouse and it was the first real estate deal we did. And, and, um, and so I bought a three bedroom, three bathroom townhouse. And uh, I was able to live there and rent out the the rest of the rooms to my other roommates. And, you know, you start to really understand, wow, like the mortgage gets paid, expenses get paid. I get a little bit of extra money um, and I'm kind of living for free and I'm going to school for free. That's kind of cool. And so, um, yeah, I ended up staying and uh, staying down in, uh, down in Atlanta after my freshman year. The guy that sold us the house uh, said that I could be an intern with him if I got my real estate license. So I stayed down. In atlanta got my real estate license interned with him and uh that's how i got into commercial real estate
0: okay and then you did a couple internships right
1: sure so i um so i yeah so first year uh was on the residential side and i remember at a closing table um there was a woman that that uh didn't want to buy a home because the walls were painted tan and she wanted them gray and you know, I, I'm thinking in my head. Wait, like that's not going to change the transaction. I'll come and paint it for you. Let's just close. <laughs> we can make our commission. And so at that point, I realized that residential real estate was a little too emotional for me. Uh, and so the next year, I and uh, went and got an Inroads internship. So shout out to Inroads, changed my life. And I and I and I got the only real estate internship, which is at Duke Realty. So it was a publicly traded REIT uh, in Atlanta that I that, uh, that I worked in uh, their property management group. And and so I, I worked there for a summer and realized that, wow, you know, you're dealing with tenant issues that you just cannot believe. I mean, you know, these are big commercial buildings. You, it's not your home, so you can't always change your, your AC. And so just little things like that, you know, um, that they're always, always issues. And I just didn't have, uh, I guess really the stomach for all those issues and all that, all the, all the problem solving there. So I just said, you know what, property management is not for me. So then the next year I uh, went and got a mid-year internship at red rock global. Um, it was, it was a company started by Michael tab, who was one of the first black, uh, real estate directors for Coca-Cola. So he he had left and started his, um, brokerage and advisory firm. So I said, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. And, and I shadowed, uh, Dale Early uh, and um, understood what tenant rep was, and and, and really uh, came down to one thing. I said, okay, I like tenant rep. You know, you're putting tenants and businesses in in office buildings to help them facilitate their business, but you're paid on commission. And so at the time, you know, you're talking what 2005. I said, okay, well, you, the average term, uh, uh you know, uh, it was like three to five years. The average rent was, you know, eighteen dollars a foot um you know and, and you just say okay like you count the commission like that's not as that's not uh it's not a ton of money
0: you know spaces are real small right correct yeah, yeah I mean, it was like five thousand like, like under
1: five thousand square feet so yeah. you times all that you you know yeah, three like, percent you're like okay that's your commission yeah knowing that i was you know from the DC metro area I looked up at the metrics there and I'm like okay well You know, average term was like five to seven. Average square foot was like five to 10, you know, and and the foot at the square square foot foot was like 35. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I mean, oh, that's simple math. I'm I'm, I gotta get home. And uh, so a good friend uh, of mine in college, um, Jordan Vaughn, his his father worked at Trammell Crow, uh, which is a national real estate services firm. uh, And he worked in the Orlando market. And he said, look. You know, I, I talked to him. I told him I wanted to be in tenant rep. He was a tenant rep broker, so he understood it. And he made a phone call for me to to uh, one of the the leading brokers in the in the Bethesda, Maryland office, uh, and asked if I could I could be a summer intern for her. And uh, so Roberta List hired me as her summer intern, and that's going in you know between you know uh, junior and senior year. You know, I would walked every building in, in in the Shady Grove Metro uh, submarket, uh, building stacking charts for. So I knew every tenant when their expirations were uh you know and just really kind of got a love for the business and so you know she said look you're going to graduate you're going to come in you're going to work for me and so um that was the plan i had an offer letter and i'm like okay you know that's taken care of i know where i'm going and uh and and, you know let's let's we could party a little bit in senior year during my senior year she uh, ended up getting tapped to head the dc office so she was no longer uh going to be doing transactions she was going to be managing the office and overseeing all the brokers and so she said look you Know this doesn't change anything, you're still going to come work for me, you're going to come to DC. So, when you graduate, come to DC and we'll figure it out for you. And, and uh, and so that's that's how I got into my uh, and the commercial real estate post college.
0: So, you graduated, came up here working for Trammell.
1: Yep, I uh, I ended up not being a tenant rep broker, and so uh, I ended up working for a gentleman named Keith McIntosh who headed up the property tax consulting business at Trammell Crow. He had just been brought over from PwC and he needed a junior to kind of crank the numbers and and, and hustle a little bit. And so she put me in that group.
0: So the tax consulting, this is like a a corner real estate that at the time we're saying like 2006, 2007 was was relatively small. But in the time since has grown to be quite, quite large, Um, brief 30 second spiel on what the tax Uh, consulting appeal side is? Yeah,
1: certainly. So, you know, um, one of the, the biggest expense line items in operating a building are your property taxes. And every year, most jurisdictions will reassess the value of the property, which effectively times that by the tax rate, generates your taxes for the property. And one thing that a lot of people don't really know is you can actually challenge that value that the city or county will assess on that property. And so that was our business. And the best thing about the business is it's only... It's a it's a contingency fee business. So I say, Fred, if I save you money, you pay me a percentage of the savings I generate. If not, you owe me nothing. So it's a true value add business, a true value proposition, uh, and it's one of those it's one of those uh, industries that you can really the sky's the limit and you control your own destiny. So you're really kind of an entrepreneurial shop within a big business. And being at Trammell Crow was tremendous because they had managed all those properties in D.C. and so we had a book of business, right?
0: Yeah, and we're talking about eight nine figure buildings, you know. Like from an assessed value, the the value that the taxing authority assesses is saying this is what that building is worth. Correct. You can kind of imagine uh, the tax savings that you can get somebody, and so giving up thirty percent might represent, you know,
1: a rounding error when it comes to the overall <laughs> value of the building. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so it's 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 a win win. Sure.
1: Yeah. So so Trammel Crow was purchased by CB Richard Ellis, which is uh, the the really the world's you know biggest real estate services firm. Uh, although all these all these consolidations now with JLL and HFM now, I don't even yeah. know who's leading, but it was right. it was the biggest at the time for sure. Mm-hmm. What happened then is now you're talking about the, the real robust financing era, right? Everybody, the values are jumping off the cliff. And so people were refinancing. And so CBRE had a very robust appraisal business. And you know a little bit about that.
0: <laughs> a little bit.
1: And so the challenge with being at CBRE is that when you go through the tax appeal process, the last stage is tax court. And all appraisals are discoverable, and so during that time, you could it was it was a conflict of interest to have two opinion of values under the same roof. Mm. And so, you know, Keith was like, "This is bad for business. Let's just move out of CB and let's yeah. you know we'll contract with all the properties, but we need to have an independent valuation because we just cannot." get knocked out. So somebody was going to lose and CB would always pick the fixed fee revenue from the appraisal business as opposed to our business. And so,
0: so I guess to, to break down what he's talking about, um, appraisal has to be done from a market standpoint. And so you're kind of giving an objective opinion of what value is, um, on the tax appeal side, you're kind of representing one side. And so, you know, you can massage the numbers really to give a, a huge range of value for what a building is. And so you can guess that for the most part, tax appeal they're going to try to argue for the lower side of the value and so when you have a company that's saying on one hand they've done an appraisal for a building that comes out to an objective value that's one way and then the tax appeal side comes out to another value that is at the low end of the spectrum of the range that is justifiable for a building you can see that conflict there especially because like you said it becomes discoverable in court so basically you all left and started your own tax Correct. appeal yeah so company. Keith
1: started his own company and then he took our whole group and we went we went with him and, and, and launched his business so now we're going into 2009 so I would worked with him three all three years post college uh, and I got the call
0: alright tell us about the call man
1: <laughs> call it changed my life um, one week before Christmas December 2009 yes uh, like
0: right at the the bottom of the market that's right
1: yeah you know, I got the call and Keith just said look you know um, I'm letting you go and, and really, I think I think the, the main driver is this. Um, you're you're now hitting the real the recession. Yeah. You know, so you 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 really are when you're punched in the face, you got to figure it out, right? Um, and and I, you know, realized that I had a certain skill set. I'm just gonna go do it myself. You know, and and uh, you know I'm from the area. I can move home, and that's what I did. And so I founded um, MDI companies in January of 2010 it's a playoff of the family business Management Dynamics Inc uh, and figure that it would be the holding company for all of our assets down the road
0: to, to give you all perspective I remember around this time for people to understand that once he said hey I'm starting MDI I didn't see this guy for another 18 months yep like literally he went into super grind mode yep and it's one of the things that sticks out the most in my memory of him uh, just in a completely uh, exemplary fashion in that uh, there's a lot of people who get punched in the mouth, and you know, they might dick around or they might, you know, not know what to do or might go crawling back to wherever. This guy said, Nah, that's not what's about to happen. I'm finna go in this cave and I'm finna do my push ups. Just gonna fight your way out. Yep,
1: yeah. And uh, and look, I mean, you know, I, my mom always tells me, you know, luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. So we're talking about 2010 in a business where my job is to lower value. It was the greatest recession, right? And so all I had to do was sign clients. And yep. because I had a value prop where I'm offering contingency fee, I knew I can bank on myself to go hustle and get business. And so, you know, again, back to my love of hotels, I said, look, you know, uh, a good friend of mine, I met vor uh, own a couple of hotels. He grew up in Silver Spring as well. And um, he was one of my first clients. You know, he said, look, you know, we own, meaning Asian Americans own 48% of all hotels in this country. Forty eight. That's that's twenty nine thousand hotels, right? And and people think of hotels as four seasons and whatever, but sleep ins, quality ins, comfort ins, like all the choice brands, all of that. Yeah, take just, every
0: single highway that ends with a zero or a five and all those exits, there's a hotel. That's
1: right. And so I said, Okay, I'm gonna focus on hotels, select service in Maryland, very specific business plan. And I literally went to every AHOA, which is Asian American Hotel Owners Association conference. Uh, I walked almost every hotel in Maryland that was a select service. And I literally will walk in with a one page fee agreement and tell him what I do. And I said, do you like to save money? If yes, sign this, I'll come back. You only pay me if I'm successful. And I was able to crush it. And it was just it was a tremendous uh, opportunity for me. Uh, great learning experience and, and really validating for me. Uh, and, and so the grind paid off. And uh, and really 18 months later, I got the attention of of a national uh, property tax company, uh Paradigm Tax Group. I'll never forget this. This this guy um Oscar Diaz just said, "Look, you've done something that's just tremendous. We need you. What's it going to take?" And uh we cut a deal and um off I, to New York. And I and I uh wound down MDI, rolled it into uh Paradigm Tax Group and then I moved to New York to uh open their office there.
0: Yeah. And for those that know Sharif, uh, he's always had a love affair with New York, even though we've only mentioned <laughs> Oakland and Miami and D.C. You can kind of see him working his way up the East Coast. He's a big Giants fan, too. So you finally made it to NY. Yep. Big city. Yep. All right. So you with Paradigm Tax for how long?
1: Yeah, so I was with them for uh, five years. So I, I uh, built the business uh, in New York, and, uh, and that, was, that, was, uh, that was the big leagues, right? And, and really, before that, I had gotten some good advice where they said, look, Sharif, you're doing great, but you need to add more zeroes. To, your, uh, to, the, to the valuations. And so obviously you can do that in New York. And and, um, and so the beautiful thing about New York was it, it's a feeder for the rest of the country because you have a lot of the private equity firms and the big real estate firms that are based there that own national portfolios. And now I had a national company behind me that could service the portfolio and I could do what I do, which is be the client interactor and engagement manager. And I could just funnel the, the property business out to the rest of the country without really having to even do valuation work in New York. And so it was the best job I could have had because I'm literally going to Blackstone, Starwood, you know, all the funds. And I'm just like, look, I'm your guy. If you like me, sign with me and we'll take care of you nationally. And if there's a problem, I'll be right here because my office is down the street. Um, and so we built that business uh, in New York. Tremendous business. I ended up uh, running the region uh, and, 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 and because I had experience in the D.C. market. And so, um, you know, it was a tremendous experience of managing a P&L, managing staff, um and, and trying to build a business. And so uh, it, was, uh, it was a beautiful opportunity to build a business within a business and and uh, change my life.
0: So were you still just focusing on hotels or were you branching out? To no, so I properties? led the
1: National Hospitality Practice. And so I built a, a, a nice um, a nice model to, to, to do some hotel work. So I, I I focused on all the transfer tax appeals that we'd done nationally. But I also were just going after uh, – we, we were going after any and everything at that point.
0: And so – for most people or for a lot of people that work on the service side eventually you start seeing these zeros roll in (laughs) and you start to say to yourself you know what i I know just as much as the guys on the buyer side i have just as many relationships i think i might want to dip my toe into the to to the ownership side of things
1: you know again going back to kind of networking um I had a friend of mine, uh, a guy by the name of Dan Straga, who's an attorney here in D.C. And so we met through mutual friends and stayed in touch. And so he called me in 2015 and just said, look, let's let's go look at stuff together. And so we started uh, we started looking um, trying to build a business plan. And so we ended up looking at Philadelphia uh, as a market that we uh, wanted to potentially invest in. New York was too expensive. D.C. was too expensive. Uh, but we felt that, you know, the, the basis was right in Philly. Uh, so we walked the neighborhoods and we just formed a, a company and, and said, look, let's go. And uh, we became principals. What's the name of this company? Spark Property Group.
0: Spark. Yeah. So it's
1: okay. uh, it's uh, it was essentially Ben Franklin's first uh, failed experiment. Um, but it created a spark. The business plan was we were going to go into emerging neighborhoods and bring life to it. And so we were going to spark the neighborhood.
0: And so I think you've done maybe one or two deals since then. Yeah, right? we did.
1: Yeah, we did some deals in uh, some other deals in Philly in the same neighborhood. You know, we, you continue to learn along the way. Um, and at that time as well, I knew that if I was going to go and be a principal full time, I needed to kind of transition my personal pro- or professional narrative away from tax. So at that same time, I actually went and took a job at JP Morgan as a uh, multifamily uh, lender. And uh, just to rebrand, retool. Uh, continue to build relationships um, and, and and really trying to change the narrative a little bit from Sharif the tax guy to Sharif a multifaceted real estate person uh, that I that I that I knew would serve me well later.
0: Yeah, and this is like J.P. Morgan down the financial district in New York.
1: Yeah, well, Park Ave. But that, Park? Okay. yes, but yes. Okay.
0: Yes. Yeah. All right. Cool. And how was that experience?
1: Yeah, you know, it was a it was a it was a tough experience because I never understood. I never worked in banking before, so I didn't really understand what a credit box was. You know, like when you're on the service side, as you know, you're gonna figure out a way to do something. Yeah. Whereas when you work you're, for a bank, this they're like, nope, we're not gonna do that. Nope, we're not gonna do that. Too risky. Nope, we're not gonna do that. So it was very challenging in terms of trying to find deals that would fix the box, but it was tremendous because, you know, I went in at an executive director level, which, which uh, has some prestige, you know, coming from JP Morgan. And I really met a lot of family offices because they all have real estate as their common thread and how they generated wealth. Yeah. Uh, and I understood how they financed their buildings. I understood how they leveraged debt to to uh, to grow as opposed to selling buildings and paying not only you know taxes on it, but but also losing assets. And so they kept everything. And they would just refinance every three to seven years and pull out one to three million bucks and go and buy more buildings. It really gave me a a great insight into how that world works. And I'm like, okay, I'm now really starting to see a business model forming on top of the stuff that I'm doing in Philly. And so I'm like, okay, this is, this is the plan. And by the way, I was doing rent stabilized uh, lending in New York. So all the walk-ups essentially. Yeah. And so, you know, it's essentially workforce housing, right? Uh, and so you, you are, you're, you're renting to teachers, nurses, firefighters, you know, cities. All the people the
0: politicians talk about.
1: Correct. Correct. And so that's a certain demographic that has its own challenges. But to me, I saw opportunity because all the tenants look like me. Yeah. And so I said, okay, I've got some multifamily in Philly. I understand finance. I've got these three family offices that have become my biggest clients that all told me that they would back me if I could figure out a way to jump out. Uh, and I had a business plan to, that I was formulating. And so I said, OK, now it's time to go out and figure it out and, and do something full time.
0: So before we get to where you are currently, um, this credit box you were talking about, is that with respect to just underwriting or is there a more to... Is there a layer on top of the underwriting as concerns just the company, JP Morgan, and what they want to actually invest yeah, in? Yeah.
1: So, I mean, you know, loans are always going to be based on the asset, but then they always underwrite the sponsor. Yeah. So, years of experience. Did you own during the downturn? How many assets do you own? Ooh, did, did you, you
0: own during the downturn? Because that's, that's a,
1: the true Yeah, like, are you of, really in this or are you just... Correct. Yeah. So, did you lose it? Did you throw back the keys? Or do you know how to operate when things really get tight? Yeah. Um. So, that experience mattered. Um. How many buildings do you own? What's your net worth and equity? All that matters. It's all, about, it's all about what's your risk and how do we mitigate risk, which in theory is the best you know, place to learn how to be an investor. Yeah. Right. And so I understood how the bank thought about real estate, how they thought about sponsorship and how they, they looked at risk. And so, you know, as I thought about down the road where I'm going to be a fiduciary of other people's money, only it's equity this time. Uh, I know how to really underwrite and value buildings that would allow us to mitigate risk. Right. And so it was the best thing I could have done, but the most painful thing I could have done. Yeah. Um, and really shout out to my wife for, for sticking with me through that, that, uh, that tough time. Cause it was, uh, it was definitely a, uh, a step back financially, mm-hmm. uh, because I was no longer at the top of my career. I was, I was starting over.
0: Yeah. But the vision was there. Always and, have a point. Shout a point. to you, Alex, cuz that's that's ride or Die wife, the right real there. For The sure. real MVP for sure. The real MVP. All right, so what are you doing now?
1: It in a long winded way cuz I think it's important. Uh along the way, I became a part of a real uh, real estate organization called Real Estate Executive Council, which is uh an organization for for African American minorities and women in commercial real estate. Reese, right? Reese, that's right. And and so I met a gentleman by the name of Boa Benitia, founder of Dante's Partners here in DC we met before in DC, but we'd gotten really cool through, through the Reese events. And, and, you know, I remember vividly, he was, you know, he's like, what are you into? And, and, and he was asking me and I said, you know, I like hip hop. I like real estate. And he's like, me too. And so we always had that kind of bond. And so we would go to concerts together and we would talk deals and all that stuff. And, and, um, and so we were at a Kendrick concert, um, here in DC actually he told me to come down. Um, and I brought some friends and, and I just asked him, you know, after the show, like, what are you doing with the business? And, and he just said, you know, look, he's like he's he's growing the business. He's creating new verticals. And I, and I asked him, I, I said, if I put a business plan together, would you look at it? Um, and so, you know, the thing about Boo is he is super, super opportunistic uh, and incredibly thoughtful and detailed. And so I knew I had to come correct. But what I realized is that he had done had built a tremendous business that was all ground up construction all in D.C., and if you know me, Fred, I hate development. <laughs> uh, you know, When
0: we say he hates development, we're, we're talking about the, the construction aspect of a real estate deal. Correct. Uh, not necessarily the ownership of real estate. No, so but, if we're talking about building something ground up where it's like you have land and you're literally brick and mortar building it up from the ground. Or if we're talking about a building that you're basically significantly rehabbing mm-hmm. uh, to bring it back to operation in full profitability, uh, the nuts and bolts with that. Aren't necessarily Sharif's cup of tea.
1: Yeah, it's just too risky for me, and I just don't have that tolerance. Um, but uh, you know, but it's it's uh, it's a very vital part of our industry. And yes, so, it is. And so I, you know, I said, look, you know, um, I understood the, the finance, and I had seen, you know, what I was seeing at J.P. Morgan. I bought some buildings in Philly, and so I put together, you know, a business plan that was going to allow us to create a new vertical off of his existing business. We called it Dante's Community Partners, and essentially, we're we are going out and we are buying existing properties focused on workforce housing and affordable housing and so it's a segment of real estate that really caters to folks that make less than a hundred thousand dollars a year that's our resident essentially we uh we we, we talked about it at the Kendrick concert i pitched them a month later uh and we decided to uh start our company together uh really you know january of 18 and so i left the bank and and we we uh we formed dante's community partners and, and so you know i'm doing that full time now
0: all right you ready for the seven questions let's do it all right
1: What's no, it no. called,
0: what? y'all?
1: It's, it's, the the questions. Questions. it's the questions.
0: It's the It's the Question number one. Book to add to the library.
1: So when I was in high school, I read a book called Never Eat Alone. Uh, by Keith Ferrazzi. and it really talked about how to connect with people and interact with people. And and he wrote it from a salesperson perspective, but my takeaways were really you can you can you can connect with anybody if you find one thing in common. And so you might have to work for it, but it really changed my life and allowed me to go into any environment confidently and, and connect with people in a way that's genuine where you're not always asking for favors and, and really changed my life. So that's the book.
0: Uh, number two podcast to subscribe.
1: You know, so again, I'm uh, real estate and hip hop um, and I would throw in politics in there as well. So um, from a real estate podcast, I love this uh, podcast called Beyond the Bricks. Actually, it might be behind the brick, so excuse me. Um, but it's it's a podcast by Peter Vonder. He's a broker in New York. Uh, Marcus and Miller Chap, and and it's a multifamily family uh, podcast. But a really interesting uh, interview interviews. Excuse me, uh, in regards to just owners of real estate in New York. So I love it because they get to tell you all the stories, and you get to learn, you know, all about uh, all about uh, different tenants, and it's just really interesting to hear about business. Uh, I love the Axe Files. David axelrod who was uh who was Obama's uh, chief of staff oh, okay okay yep I love that so he interviews political figures and and I, I do have a love of politics as well and, and then <laughs> I love the Joe button podcast man <laughs> I love the Joe button podcast those guys uh those guys are, are are funny uh we get to we get to go uh into into the, the, the you know, hip-hop industry and really I love his story you know um yeah. and that's that's how I that's really where I connect with Joe just in terms of how he's been able to you know you know, continue to pivot and and uh, create a new narrative.
0: I feel that for a lot of millennials, people younger than us, he comes off as like the old man oh, wait, hater,
1: <laughs> wait, which which I'm slowly becoming in my musical taste, and I'm like, wow, this is crazy
0: so Oh, know, we it's, all it's, become the hater at some point okay. of of, oh, of the change in music. Okay, but yeah. all right, number three, something you didn't know you needed until you got it. A
1: true understanding of tax, and and really, you know, uh that was a blessing for me um because if you think about it, Fred, and, and let's let's. Let's do a little history lesson. Okay, if you think about the Gilded Era, you know you had companies that were monopolies, like Standard Oil and and the, and the uh, the train companies and all that, and they didn't have to pay taxes, like Amazon. Okay, sure, sure, but but back then there was really no tax law. Like now, it's like oh, you're yeah. using and so again. With the you know, it's funny when you go to Newport, Rhode Island, they built all those massive mansions because they just had you know the, what the what's the equivalent of billions of dollars that was untaxed, and so they could they could build these massive, incredible homes. Uh, and and when you look at what happened, uh, you know, during the Great Depression, they had to start taxing wealth to help fund the country. Yes. And the families that's that that uh, were their successors could not keep up, and so if you think about all those homes they're all owned by like the, like the Newport historical society, you know, cause the families just, they lost the homes. And, 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 and so in general now smart, you know, smart business folks. And you know, this is, you know, it's not great, but it's important to learn where, you know, if you understand the tax code, you can really figure out ways to can try to get to not only just create wealth, but the way I look at it is if you shield some income, you're able to reinvest in your business. Right. And so if I have to pay the government $300,000 a year, but I have real estate assets that I can I can offset some of that I can that's six bodies that I could go out and, and grow my business or I can go out and reinvest in technology, whatever. So the way I look at it is understanding tax really allows you to keep some of your money to, you know, truly reinvest, unlike you know some of what's going on out here. But that's a different story.
0: It's a great answer. Number four, bucket list place to travel. So this is a place in the world that you have been to Mm -hmm. that you would recommend the listeners add to their bucket list.
1: So um, and it's funny. Everybody always says Cape Town, South Africa, which I which I which I was going to use. But uh, recently uh, with some friends, we went to Lisbon, Portugal. Okay, And that place is incredible.
0: Yeah. Lisboa Lisboa is. Yeah, it's very, very nice.
1: Yeah. The food was great. Uh, you know, the, the, the topography is, is similar to San Francisco's It's very hilly. Yes, it is. Um, and even if you think about there's there's a bridge that they, that they modeled after the Bay bridge, the original Bay bridge. Um, and and then they have all the old trolley cars.
0: All right. Uh, number five, 50 mile detour restaurant.
1: All right. So I'm gonna give you two answers. Okay. Um, the, the, the real answer is, um, a restaurant called Dishoom. It's an, it's an Indian rest. It's an Indian, uh, kind of a street food restaurant in shoreditch which is in east london uh it's right around the corner from the ace hotel Uh, a good friend of mine jordan harris shout out to jordan uh he lived in that neighborhood so we went to visit him and and, uh it it was just incredible i love indian food as is but this was the best indian food i've ever had in my entire life um but i would not be me if i didn't say jr crickets in atlanta to go get those lemon pepper wings
0: is that from the the show Atlanta? Where it was the like they
1: made it they made it famous. But yeah, I've been going to JR Cricket since since I was in college.
0: What a neighborhood in Atlanta is this in.
1: So there there's now there there's now a series of them. Uh, but the original one is is right in kind of like Midtown. All
0: right, cool. Number six. Your number one skill.
1: I would just say my ability to connect with people. You know, I, I genuinely like to talk to people and meet people and and uh, and so. You know, my ability to connect is is always uh, led me to places that uh, I couldn't have imagined. And, you know, you never you never get to anywhere without people. So that's uh, that's I'd say that's my best home skill for sure.
0: All right. And last, certainly not least, number seven, your number one talent.
1: I think, uh, you know, for me, I would say my ability to absorb information allows me to kind of structure deals so I can I can if I see something or hear something, I'll, I'll kind of go down the rabbit hole and and then from there, I could put something together that that I, I truly think, uh, you know, will, will, will bode well for many people. So I'd say that, you know, my ability to kind of synthesize information such that it gets me to a point where I could do a deal or start a company or something. I think that's I've worked on that
0: for sure. Okay, you got any social media? Any shout-outs, Any websites that you want to let the listeners at home know about?
1: No, I'm on I'm on LinkedIn, Sharif Mitchell, S H A R I F. Find me there. Okay. And I respond to emails. And, uh,
0: email. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a great, great, great episode of Guestbook Podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. As always, check us out, unionndc.com. you want to stay at the end, shoot me an email, innkeeper at unionndc.com. And we're on social media, at Guestbook Pod, at unionndc, and at Innkeeper Freddie. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Sharif. No,
1: thanks for having me, Fred.
0: And uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week.